My name's Mandy, and my husband and I have the privilege of leading a community group. And today's scripture reading is from Philippians 3:15 through 4:1 from the NIV. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God would make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Mandy. Good morning, everyone. We haven't met. My name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastor elders here. We are indeed in Philippians chapter 3. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word today, we acknowledge you as the source of life. We acknowledge you as the creator and sustainer of all things. We acknowledge you as the one who has what we need. And so we want to tune in now to uh, your word. We want to tune in to anything that you might be speaking to us. We ask that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open to receive. Thank you that you're able to take the same passage and divide it up into hundreds of different little pieces to speak into each one of our lives. I make myself available to you, ask you to anoint me to communicate in a way that is clear and in sync with your heart and mind. We ask that you do it all for your glory and for our good today, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the, there's a lot of not fun things about being a parent, right? Hard. But one of the fun things about being a parent as your kids are growing up is that you start to see uh, things they've picked up from you and it's fun when they do them good, <laughs> right? You're like, hey, that's what I do. My, my two boys, we have a nine-year-old and a 15-year-old and they've started playing guitar over the last couple of years and drums and bass and they're writing songs and they're playing sports and they're good at this stuff and their, their brains work in a way that I'm like, that's what I do, right? It's fun. Unfortunately, they've also picked up like my stubbornness and my argumentativeness and sometimes my little bit of drama-ness. <laughs> my dad and I had a very, very strained relationship for my entire life and into my adult life. And he was a pastor uh, at a church that was a part of this big church movement. And so he knew a lot of people. And when I got in my 20s and started playing music and traveling a lot, I would go to a lot of these churches that knew my dad. And it was the same thing every time I'd show up. Oh my gosh, that's your dad? I love him. 
greatest dude, cool. And they'd go off, right, about how awesome my dad was. And it would frustrate the heck out of me because I was like, yeah, dude, that's not my experience. I don't, I don't know this guy in that way that you're talking about him. But the worst was when somebody would say, you remind me so much of your dad. Because I didn't want to be like my dad, right? I didn't want to talk like him. I didn't want to act like him. I didn't want to parent like him. I didn't want to pastor like him. I didn't even want to look like him. And he's a good looking dude. But no matter how hard I tried, I had inherited things from my dad, both in my DNA, but I also just picked up stuff. Finally, you know, our relationship got mended in, in my 30s and we did hard work to deal with all the past hurt and all of that. And I started to realize like, oh, okay, yeah, he messed up in a lot of ways, but there's also these really cool attributes about him. And I began to be okay with the fact that I had picked up some things from my father. Some of them good, some of them maybe not so good. And such is the case with all of us, right? We will naturally, even unintentionally, pick up things from those around us. And some of them are very simple practices, like do you pray before a meal? You've picked that up from somebody. But there's also more complicated practices that we've picked up and patterns that we've picked up, like how do you deal with conflict in a relationship? How do you communicate? And it's important to think about these things because whether you realize it or not, we are all following and creating patterns that others will follow. The question is, whose patterns are we following and where are those patterns leading us? And where are we leading those who are following our patterns? So what we want to focus on today in Philippians 3 is where do those patterns begin? What do those patterns reveal and how can those patterns change if they need to change? So number one, where do our patterns begin? Paul has just written in this letter about his incredible life transformation. We've looked at it over the last couple weeks. There has been a radical change that has been brought about by Jesus. In verses 3 through 15, Paul is like, hey, listen, you guys need to know how Jesus has changed everything. I I had everything I could have obtained. I had social status. I had respect in the community. I came from a good family line. I was righteously living. I had education. And yet, none of it mattered because I didn't have Jesus. In fact, now that I have Jesus, he says, I realized that all of that stuff was only as good as trash compared to the invaluable worth of knowing Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and now that's, that's all I care about. This is it. This is all I care about. I just want to know Jesus more and more. I want to get as close to him as I possibly can. I want to follow him wherever he goes. I'll even follow him into suffering. I'll even follow him into death. And I'm going to follow him into resurrection. And I'm going to follow him into glory. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to go. Paul knows how his life has been transformed by Jesus and he is ready to follow him anywhere and everywhere until he ends up in glory someday with Jesus. And so this is why Paul can so confidently say in our passage today, hey, this is the direction I'm heading. This is the pattern I am following and this is also the pattern you ought to follow. Again, verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if some of you, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul's life has been transformed by Jesus. He's not the same person that he used to be. And he also knows that he hasn't arrived yet. There's still glory ahead of him. And so he's saying, hey, I'm headed to glory. Follow me there. But let us live today like we are headed for glory tomorrow. Let us, as he says, live up to what we have already attained, what we already have in Jesus. This is the direction we are headed. And because Paul knows that this is the right direction, he urges every believer to follow him in it. Join with others, he says in verse 17, in following me. Where do our patterns begin? They begin here with the examples that we follow. Some of your translations might read in verse 17, join in imitating me, which can sound a little strange to some of us. All the type fours in the room, the individualist, are like, I'm sorry, did you say imitate? <laughs> I don't, this, is not, this is not a word I use in my life. The creatives in the room feel like our ideas are not legitimate if they have been borrowed from anybody else ever in history. And yet, though we live in an age of authenticity where it feels like imitation is artificial, the truth is we all learn our patterns in life, even from the earliest age. You literally learn how to speak by listening to the pattern of your parents speak. Parents learn how to parent, even sometimes accidentally, by watching other parents around them. As believers, we do things like learn how to pray by listening to other people pray. We need examples of how life is lived out. Now, you could read, and you can learn. You could watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts. Great. But you don't automatically change your behavioral patterns just because you learn something that is good for you. I read a lot of books on marriage and relationships and communication, and none of them helped me because they didn't, like, it wasn't osmosis. Like, I just, I read it, and then all of a sudden I was changed. It was just like knowledge. But what did change me was when I started being around other healthy marriages, I just started picking up things, and then all of a sudden those things got infiltrated into my marriage, thankfully, for the good. Many of the things that we learn then are not just taught, but caught. This is part of why Christian community is so essential. Following examples is what we do. The question is, whose examples are we following and where are those examples leading us? And where are we leading those who are following our example? Wait a minute, hold on, Dom. My example, I'm not, I didn't sign up for that, dude. I'm not signing up for people following me. I'm my own individual. I didn't ask anybody to follow me. Well, whether you like it or not, somebody is watching and following your example. And so the conversation of patterns doesn't just begin with the examples that we follow, but also with the examples we set. Because as we follow the example of others, and we put into practice what we have picked up from others, then we begin to develop new habits. 
which then lead us to creating our own patterns, which in turn influence others. I started leading worship at Reality Carpinteria when I was 23 years old. I came in hot-headed, probably a little cocky, probably very self-consumed. I was leading worship for years there. I, I led pretty much every single Sunday. And then it was a, there was a big college community there, right? And so there was a lot of college kids coming in. And after a few years, uh, there was like these three college-aged kids who uh, were, you know, had, they had good musical ability, good hearts. And so they joined the team and started leading worship a bit. And it never occurred to me that maybe, because I had, you know, been doing it for a long time, you know, 10 years or whatever by then, that maybe I had something to like teach them or... Even worse, that maybe they were just going to pick up things from me without me even realizing it. But it's exactly what happened because years later, I overheard the three of them talking and they all were talking about how they had been apprenticed by me as a worship leader. They weren't even good. They were bad worship leaders. I'm just kidding. They were, they were fine. But I didn't teach them anything. Like, I didn't have a conversation with them. Never one meeting where I sat down and was like, hey, here's some stuff. Didn't invest anything in them, and somehow they were all apprenticed by me. I wish I would have known, right? Like, I would have done a better job apprenticing them. Honestly, it's a little freakish. It's a little scary when you think about it. What I didn't realize was that I was accidentally mentoring people just because of my example, because they apparently were watching Some of us in the room today are young, some of us are old, some of us are mature, some of us are immature. Wherever we fall in that spectrum, it doesn't matter. We are setting an example that has an impact on other people. And you may say, I'm not ready for that. I don't feel like I have the maturity for that. I shouldn't be in a place of leading others. And those things might be true. It's probably true for me as a worship leader back then. Nevertheless, you are already leading the people around you because the patterns of our lives have an impact on those around us. And this is right. It's actually intended by God like this because as followers of Jesus, we, our lives don't exist in a vacuum where it's just us and everything else is like sucked out. We are not isolated from those around us. And so we should never act as though our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ are only responsible for themselves. We don't, we don't have the right to say, you know what, they have needs, but I have nothing to do with those needs. This thing that Paul is talking about is both personal and corporate, which is why he says in verse 17, join together. It is a corporate thing. It is a group thing, as we often say here at Reality. Discipleship is a community project. But this phrase, join together, actually means even more than that. It has more of an intense meaning than the English translation gives light to here. It actually is military language. Another way to say this would be stay in battle formation. There is a pattern to follow, like soldiers following a pattern. You follow the one ahead of you, and the ones behind you will follow your pattern. And so, our patterns have an impact on others, as they should. But there's something else that our patterns do. Our patterns also 
reveal. So what do our patterns reveal? When you look at and observe a person's life and when others look at your life, the patterns there actually reveal something deeper about that life. What do they reveal exactly? Well, first, our patterns reveal the direction of our lives. In verses 18 through 20, Paul makes this radical contrast between two patterns of life and the direction that they are headed. And he begins with a strong, heartfelt, and passionate warning against one type of pattern in verse 18 when he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Here's how he describes them. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who are these people that Paul is talking about? Well, it doesn't actually seem that he's speaking about just like people outside in the world, outside of the church. He's actually talking about those who pretend to be in the church, but are not truly in the church. False teachers, deceivers, people moving around with a fake passport, so to speak. And it's a sobering warning that there are many who might proclaim faith, but their patterns show otherwise. And for these who oppose the cross of Jesus, the only thing they have to glory in are the things that would otherwise just bring shame upon someone. And where does all of this lead them? It leads them to destruction. Why? Because the cross of Jesus, the thing they're denying, is the only thing that saves us from destruction. To deny the cross of Jesus is to deny the very thing that could save you in the first place. In contrast, those who rely on the cross of Christ, their lives are not leading to destruction. Their mind is not set on earthly things, it is set on heaven. Why? Because that is their homeland. That is their destination, as verse 20 says. They are citizens of heaven. This is the direction that their lives are heading toward. Paul is teaching here that the people we imitate, the patterns that we follow, reveal our true citizenship and the direction of our lives. But also, our patterns reveal the desire of our lives. The pattern of our lives not only reveals where we are headed and where we're from, but also what's driving us, what is motivating us. For those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul describes their motivation in several ways in verse 19. He says, first of all, their God is their stomach. He is saying that people are driven by their appetites. How do appetites become God in somebody's life? Well, our appetites become God when we link our joy to what we can get or what we can consume on earth. These people he's speaking of, all of their value, all of their worth, all of their significance is anchored to everything but God. I love how the New Living Translation translates verse 20 when it says, all they can think about is life here on earth. And this is why Paul weeps Because it's heartbreaking to see people trying to find fulfillment in the things of this world because it's a hopeless pursuit. And so the warning here is avoid that pattern of living at all costs. In contrast, those who are citizens of heaven, what is the motivation that shapes the pattern of their lives? Verse 20, 
But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul insists that the pattern we should follow is the one that finds joy and hope in Jesus alone. In contrast to waiting for temporal joy found in the things of earth, we are waiting for eternal joy that can only be found in Jesus. Our joy, Christian, is not found in what we can get, but in who we have. There is nothing on earth that can bring us true joy. Only Jesus can do that. And so we long for his kingdom, where he is, where Jesus rules and reigns. We long for the kingdom of heaven because that is our true home. And we have to catch this part of this passage because this is the key here. If we are citizens of heaven, then that means that we are not citizens of this world. 1 Peter 2 calls us foreigners and exiles on earth. Without sounding too much like Elon Musk taking everyone to Mars to have a uh, hab habit, habitat, habitat, how do you say that word? Yeah, you got it. To live there. What word am I thinking of? I'm not trying to sound like Elon Musk or Martians or whatever, but listen, we're, we're, we're uh, sojourners just visiting the world is what First Peter's telling us. We're just visiting. Like we're from a different place, going to a different place. I know it sounds crazy. It makes you sound like an alien, but we're just visiting the world. We're going to a different place. We have a different place that is ultimately our home. I used to tour a lot in uh, Brazil. And um, when our two oldest kids were younger, we would take them everywhere with us. We homeschool, we just pack up. My wife, Emily, sang with me in the band. And the first time we took the kids to Brazil, our son, who's now 15, was like four or five years old. And I'll never forget getting on the plane. And there's all these Brazilian people, right? And they're, they're speaking Portuguese. And if you know Brazilians, they're generally very like... Uh, vibrant, passionate people. And so they're loud. They're all talking across the plane and they're speaking in Portuguese. And I didn't realize, but Solomon was just like, just watching him, right? And after a while, he like pulled on my shirt and he said in his cute little four-year-old voice, he said, dad, why are all these people speaking a different kind of English? And then the plane landed and it wasn't just the language that was different, right? The, the food was different. People were different. The, the places we were staying were different. And at first, it's adventurous, right? It's exciting to go somewhere. And you're like, oh, there's all this new stuff. But eventually, my kids realized that this place was never going to feel like home. No matter how beautiful the hotels were, no matter how many fun things there were to do, how pretty the scenery was, how great the people were, it just wasn't home. And it's not because we're from America and America's better. People who visit from other countries and visit us, our friends that we have from other countries, they feel the same way after a few weeks. They just want to get home. When you put your trust in Jesus and are born again, you become a citizen of heaven with all the rights of heaven. That is your home. And so you're not supposed to feel fully home on earth. It should feel like you're just waiting to get back to your bed. Friends, listen, apart from Christ, that longing that you feel, it, it cannot, it will not, it's not supposed to be satisfied by anything on earth. 
And so you can work really hard to do all the good stuff, keep all the healthy relationships and maybe create some financial stability and maybe go on really great adventures and develop significant and impactful accomplishments. Develop yourself, develop your career, great. Wonderful things, but you will always be working and longing for something that cannot and will not fully satisfy you because only Jesus does that. Like a family on vacation in a foreign land, the Christian heart will always long for our true home where Jesus is. But when you finally come to grips with this reality and embrace the fact that this is not our home, this is not our final destination that we're just passing through, it actually is very freeing. It allows you to be okay with everything here not quite being okay because you know the things on earth will never fully be okay until Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom on earth and removes every remnant of sin once and for all. So it's all right that things aren't gonna be perfect here because someday they will be when you finally get home. And here's what is so powerful about this pilgrimesque type of mindset. It actually makes you a better visitor on earth because you know that the world cannot satisfy the longing in you that only Jesus can do that, you stop expecting and waiting for the world to do that. You're asking something of this world and this life that it was never intended to give you. And so when you come to grips with this, you just stop expecting, not like a weird like Debbie Downer kind of way, but like I just don't expect you to give me what only Jesus can give me. It changes us. It changes us from this mindset of like I gotta get to how can I like give? We are not here to get joy from the world. We're here to give joy to the world through Jesus. Yes, you are a visitor just passing through, okay? But you're not just passing through like waiting for the next thing to come. Like just, I guess I'll just enjoy the scenery. I'm just a visitor anyways. No, 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 no. You're a visitor with a mission. You are what 2 Corinthians 5 calls an ambassador. You are an ambassador who has been given a ministry on earth of reconciling people back to God and bringing them to the same place where you are headed. And what Paul is saying is that if you are a citizen of heaven, then you follow the patterns of other citizens of heaven, but you also now get to set a pattern of a citizen of heaven because this is the destination, this is the direction we are headed, and this is the desire of our lives. But that's a weighty task. It's like a heavy thing to think about that. And so some of us are probably asking, how, how do I do that? Dude, that sounds like a lot. It's actually very simple. You follow the king of heaven. This is what Paul did, even as he said in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It can feel like a lot of pressure knowing that people are maybe even accidentally following you, but you only have to set your sights on one thing or one person rather. When you follow after Jesus and make him the chief end, the chief goal, then anyone who follows behind you is gonna end up at Jesus. But what if we're not following Jesus? Or what if the patterns of our lives are not leading others in the right direction? What if we are not living as a citizen of heaven, though we may be a citizen of heaven? 
We've all seen people, unfortunately, from our own city or our own group, our own country, uh, acting in a way that is not congruent with where we're from. And it's a bummer. We're like, yeah, really? Like you're gonna, now people, when they think of me, they're gonna think of you? It's a bummer. And Paul's like, hey, let's not do that. Let's not be like that. Let's change those patterns. Okay, but how? How can our patterns change? The patterns of our lives reveal the direction and desires of our lives and guide others in the same direction that we are headed in and to the same desires that we are uh, having, right? But if those patterns are heading in a direction of destruction or to a desire that is lesser than Jesus, man, we want to change those things. We want, I don't want people heading to destruction. I want people heading to desires that where they're never going to be fulfilled. I want them heading toward Jesus. I want to change that. But how can we change that? Well, it all starts in the heart because our patterns actually come from the heart. According to the Bible, the heart is at the center of all of this. Guard your heart above all else. Why? For it determines the course of your life, Proverbs 4 says. If we want our patterns to change, then we have to change our hearts. But how can we change our hearts? First, by receiving the pardon of Christ. Jesus died on a cross in order to deliver us from the penalty and power of sin. Apart from Jesus, we are guilty in our sin, but through faith in Jesus, we are pardoned. We are forgiven. Our sin is washed away. Our guilt and shame is removed, and we are given the righteousness of Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus, then you no longer are a slave to sin. Jesus has broken the power of sin in your life. That means when you're a slave, you don't, you don't get to choose. It's like, man, sin is just like making me do this. But when you're delivered from that and you're free from it, you have the victory, all of a sudden you have a choice. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to sin anymore because I have the power of Jesus. I have the victory of Jesus. This is what happens the moment that you are born again. But you can also choose to walk in this victory every moment of every single day. Our patterns are changed by receiving and walking daily in the pardon of Christ. But more than that, our patterns are changed by relying on the power of Christ. Verse 21 says, The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus has the power to change us. Somebody say change. change. So much power that someday he will transform our existing bodies into new bodies. Somebody say new bodies. I just watched that Black Panther the other day and there's this one scene with this dude and his body. It looks like a Greek god. And I was like, that's it. That's where we're headed. That's where I'm headed. And here's what's crazy about this. It's like the body, why the body? Like the Bible says that the body's just a tent. All the good stuff is inside. Like all the stuff that really matters is inside. This is just a, a tabernacle. It's just a temple. It's just a, it's just a house. But the glory then is gonna be so crazy, so thorough, so good, that God's even gonna fix the house. He's even gonna change the house. Some of y'all have beautiful bodies. Some of y'all have busted bodies. But no matter what you got right now, you're gonna get a glorious one someday. 
But here's what's crazy about transformation. Jesus doesn't just want to transform us then. He wants to also transform us now. Unfortunately, he's not going to transform our bodies now. If you want to transform body, you can't go to Jesus. You got to go to gym. <laughs> the gym. But the transformation that he wants to do in us now is even better than a transformed body. It is a heart transformation. It is a heart transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all are being transformed. Present tense. Being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. From glory to glory. That means that we will not only be transformed then, but that we are also being transformed right now. How is that happening? By the power of the spirit of Jesus in us. When you are saved, you are given the Holy Spirit. And as we yield to the power and leading of the Spirit, new desires will begin to surface in us. We can attest to this. Anybody who's been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time is like, I never used to care about that. And I used to care so much about this. But the Spirit of God in me is transforming me. Yeah, I don't have a new body yet, but he's transforming my heart. He is transforming my heart. He is working in us. Guys, we do need to care deeply about the patterns that we are setting for others, but we have to know that we cannot change our patterns apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in us. He is the one that works in us both to will and to do. That means that he is the one who gives us the power both to feel and think differently and to do and live differently. Many people give up on the hope that they can change at all because they're told that, man, your future is just, it's dark and it's unchangeable, so why, why would you even try to do that? But for anyone who trusts in Jesus, your future is not dark and unchangeable. Your future is glory and resurrection. And while you wait for that glory, to be fully perfected in you. Right now, you can yield to the Holy Spirit in you. You can yield to Christ in you, trusting that he is already beginning that work of transformation. Paul wants us to know that we should choose wisely who we follow and choose wisely how we pattern our lives, but ultimately, it is not an example that changes us. Nor can our good example change others. Lasting change only comes by the power of Christ in us. The only reason that Paul was worth following in the first place was because if you followed him, you knew that you would eventually end up where he was gonna end up, at the feet of Jesus. Jesus was the one who Paul patterned his life after, the one who he was heading toward. To lead well, you have to be led well, and there is no greater leader than Jesus. Follow Jesus, and the pattern of your life will begin to look like his. It won't be perfection, but it will lead people to Jesus. Last weekend, I was in the desert celebrating my grandpa's 50th ministry anniversary of him preaching and leading the same church that he started in the early 70s. And it was beautiful. There was all these people from like all, you know, over the last 50 years who were all sharing about the ministry of that church and just like honoring my grandpa and thanking him. And they asked me to say a few things and it was so amazing to, to listen to these people. There was so much that could have been said. So much. I mean, 
uh, my grandpa gave me the first opportunity to ever play music ever in front of people ever when I literally couldn't sing. He just like was like, ah, I'm gonna take a chance on this. First time he, anybody ever asked me to share something from God's word, him. First time someone ever asked me to pastor, like shepherd other people, him. So much I could have said, but the one thing that stuck out, stood out was my grandpa's ability to always bring it back to Jesus. This pastor shared who was like 20 years younger than him and 25 years ago, my grandpa sat him down when he was starting a church and he said, I'm gonna tell you one thing. This is the most important thing as a preacher. Whatever text you're in, just get us to Jesus as quick as you can. Isn't that what we want? Don't we just wanna get people to Jesus as quickly as we can? Who knows what's gonna happen with my grandpa, how many more years he might have in the pulpit, but this is the pattern that he's leaving behind him. We all leave a wake behind us, right? Like a boat, we all leave a wake behind us. And man, we can leave wonderful things. Like I wanna leave healthy relationships behind me. Yeah, I wanna leave financial stability for my family. I wanna leave good work ethic and good values behind me. I wanna leave those things. But none of that matters is what Paul would tell us. None of that matters if you don't leave behind you Jesus. Because none of those things can ultimately provide eternal joy and hope for someone. Only Jesus can do that. And so set your sights on Jesus and the pattern of your life will surely lead others to him, which is where we want them to end up because that is where eternal joy and hope lie. Amen? Let's pray together that these things would be so. Father, we desire this in our lives. We desire to, to end up just like wholeheartedly before you. We desire for those who are following us to, to follow a path that just lands them at your feet. It's so much more simple than we make it, Lord. And so we ask that you would just like uh, declutter our hearts and minds around these things and that you would open our eyes to have a new perspective on this. We're citizens of heaven waiting to get home. But we wanna be faithful visitors while we're here. And so we ask for the power of your spirit that you would anoint us to do so to be faithful ambassadors, to be faithful stewards with what you've put before us. We ask that all the good, all the, the good healthy stuff in our lives would ultimately point people to you. But we also just wanna point people to you. So we ask for the power of your spirit to do that. And I also ask that if there's anybody here today who does not yet know you, who's been longing, like we all do, to finally fully be satisfied, we ask that you would draw them to yourself. They would put their faith in you, Jesus. They would receive the forgiveness of their sin. They would receive eternal life today.